everything that people say, well, you were lucky to work with Dolce Gabbana. And I can say, that wasn't luck. It was strategy. Cut. What's that imposter voice saying is going to be found out? Good question, I suppose. Do you have insecurities? Yeah, of course I do. Has that ever had an impact on you? I never believed my own hype. It's very easy once you see yourself in articles and winning awards and everyone's telling you how amazing you are. But I, I suppose I never really did. I didn't fit in particularly well. And I've seen the extremities of mental health. Me, myself, going to dark periods when nothing would nothing would suffice nothing would cheer you up if you haven't got a thick skin you shouldn't be in this game david gandhi at one point he was one of the highest paid male models in the entire world a beautiful beautiful man and so hearing that and seeing how beautiful he is would understandably make you assume a lot of things about him. But what you're going to hear today is that those things are wrong and that you should never judge a book by its cover. How is it possible that someone that looks like David Gandhi can describe themselves as having imposter syndrome, being low in confidence and waiting to be found out? He's now become an entrepreneur. He's focused on launching his brand new brand, David Gandhi Wellware. And he's taking on a completely different industry. It's crazy because when you open people's diaries, you never know what you'll find. And what I found in David's today was truly fascinating, unexpected, vulnerable, and extremely surprisingly relatable. So without further ado, I'm Stephen Bartlett, and this is The Diary of a CEO. I hope nobody's listening, but if you are, then please keep this to yourself. There's a lot of very beautiful people in the world, right? Um, But they don't manage to achieve what you've achieved across multiple disciplines, whether it's within your modeling career, which is an incredibly competitive Mm -hmm. space to play and one with shrouded with huge amounts of uncertainty, or whether it's now in business with what you're doing with your brands there and your investments. So my my question is, what is it about you in your sort of self-diagnosis that has made you rise to the top in those pursuits that's a good question and also where did it come from the easiest one to say is is probably the modeling one to to start off with and that was um i questioned why men weren't in the same position as the female supermodels and you had the equivalent of the the male supermodels at the time and you always have that but they were never to the you know to that level um of fame of you know sort of financial rewards of uh, as as the female supermodels and i questioned it, that that was all and thought is there a possibility is there almost i suppose a gap in the market the first five years and no one actually realizes that I, I really didn't do that much for the first five or six years it was you know I, of course we didn't struggle and it was a lot of um ca- you know sort of uh, catalog work earning really good money but it wasn't what i wanted to do but i got to work with you know, like Sir Chrissy Turns and Naomi Campbell and those people, and I, I literally just observed them and, and asked them questions, mm. and sort of got the answers that I wanted, and, and I all realised that it was a business for them. They had great teams, they had great agencies, they had PRs and PAs. It was run as a business, and then you had the guys, you know, who were the top of the fashion at the time, 
it wasn't a business for them. It was a lovely way of making a living and they were felt very fortunate to be there. Some of the time, not even admitting that they were models. They were in advertising or marketing, as a lot of people used to say. And I, I just used the, the female platform. And I went to head of my agency, Tandy Anderson, and said, I, I don't want to do this commercial work anymore. I don't, it, it doesn't satisfy me. It's not when she said, what do you want to do? I said, if I'm going to do this, I want to be the best at it. And she said, right, literally from tomorrow, I've said this a million times, you have to stop all that commercial work because we have to, you have to be perceived then as in, in a total different light to, to get to where you want to be. So every bit of that work, and I said we were earning very good money, I just quit everything. We just, we said no to all the campaign, no to all the catalogues. And as she said to me, like in a position where you've got, that's what most models are dreaming of, earning what, not dreaming of, but that's, you know, they see you, yours as an enviable position. I said, Dan, it's just not what I want to do. I'm not happy doing it. So to me, I had nothing to lose because I wouldn't have carried on. So we then started building up this other perception of me within the fashion industry, not the catalogue model, not the commercial model, but editorial, a bit more sort of fashion-based. And that's when we instigated a meeting with Dolce & Gabbana. And that's how I did their campaign. The campaign led to Light Blue. And you know, Light Blue is, a, to me, a tick in the box for them to achieve what I wanted to achieve. Mm. And it was a phenomenal success, and it still is. But that was, that was what I needed. That was the platform pretty much from there. And then we could put the team together to say, where do you want to be in three years? What, where's the next three years after that? Where do you want to achieve? And I'm a big believer in having goals. Mm-hmm. Not always having to achieve them. Things change. But I'm a big believer in having goals so you know roughly where, you're, where you want to end up at something. And then game is a, I always say, sort of, you know, life is like a game of chess and you're moving pieces to get to that checkmate to where you want to be. And often it diverts and you have to have different tactics, but you you have to have that ambition to know the exact point to where you want to be. And of course, and you get there and being a maybe an entrepreneur or a typical person I am, then I'm on to the next thing and not particularly satisfied. And, you know, I've achieved that. So what's the next achievement? Where do you go from there? What role do you think luck has played? If you, as you view your journey in hindsight, mm-hmm. what role, and you know, Everyone, you know, especially very successful people will always have a kind of different relationship with luck. But what role do you think luck has played in your journey and however you would define luck? It annoys me if someone says, oh, you're very lucky. Mm. And I feel like I have to go on this statement and go, hang on, let me just tell you about You haven't seen the hard work that's gone in it. And I realise that sort of gets you nowhere. Um, so, listen, I was fortunate to be born like I am mm. six foot two with the frame I have with mm. the way I look and people perceive that as they the way they do mm. and it's you can make money from that mm. hugely fortunate but as you said before there are a lot of good looking people there are a lot of beautiful people I've admitted myself I go into my agency there are 25 better looking guys on that board there are 50 better models I've just cast 10 of them for my brand. They're, my, they were, they're better models than me. They're better spokespeople than me. I was fortunate to be in that position, but then you, and say so you make your own luck, you, maybe you do. Mm. So, so every sort of, everything that people say, well, you were lucky to work with Dolce & Gabbana. And I can say, well, let me tell you how this, the story of how we went to meet Dolce & Gabbana, how we instigated that. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. wasn't luck. Yeah, yeah. It was strategy. And it was 
not my I think at the time everyone's going you are Armani you are Ruffler and you are Armani Ruffler and it was Tandy Anderson who said you are Dolce and Gabbana you are Dolce and Gabbana don't listen to anyone else you are Dolce and it was her genius that said and then, and then sort of instigated this meeting with them and then through that and working with Tandy and working with Select everything we've achieved is strategy you know mm. it's, it's, it's gone out it's like think what do you want to achieve what do you want to you know, what, what's your goal and it just, it doesn't just happen. Yes, there's certain opportunities that come around that people approach you. Mm. But we approach a lot of people with ideas and we approach a lot of people, we would love to do this. Yeah. You know, M&S. It was us who wanted to do that collaboration. Mm. And I wanted to do it with one of the biggest British institutions that everyone knows and everyone has a great thing. I wanted to do it with M&S. We had lots of different brands approach us. Mm. But we didn't want to do that. We wanted to do it with M&S. And that, Again, looked at, we didn't start off by just doing collaboration and, you know, a, a huge deal. It was, I had to model for two years with them, prove that I could sell, prove that I could work with MNS. Then we talk about collaboration. Then we would move on and, hmm. you know, then they trusted me. But it didn't, it's not a finger click, you know. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's because the way that luck, um, those moments, the amazing collaboration, that amazing email that comes out of nowhere, in hindsight, because it appears to have come out of nowhere, um, it always appears in hindsight like luck. And I've got my own ex- story, you know, examples from my story where when I was 18, 19 years old, I went on LinkedIn and typed an investor. The first person <laughs> that came up, I emailed him and he invested in my company. So people think, you know, they say you got lucky, right? And I'm like, well, you know, again, it's what, to what you said about the story. Well, look at the email. It was sent at 3 a.m. And I show it on stage. I'm like, and I then remove the timestamp and I'm like, I was up at 3 a.m thinking exactly. about emailing people. So for me, mm-hmm. action and what you described there is like that smart strategic work is just increasing mm-hmm. probability mm-hmm. that, you know, you might get what people call luck. And um, and that moment with Dolce & Cabana, um, when when you, you form that, that partnership with them, how pivotal was that for you and the trajectory of your career in like real terms? Light blue is the reason I'm here. And I, you know, the, the famous commercial. But again, you could look back to that, that when I came into modelling, the, the circle of the fashion world at that stage of what was perceived as fashionable was the small, androgynous, skinny guy. Hmm. Now, I'm over six foot two. I was quite skinny when I came in, but I built up and I just got bigger. And everyone else said, you need to get smaller. You need to fit in. You need to, you're too big. You're getting too big. That's where I was happiest. I wasn't doing it for reading. You know, I was always playing sport. I wanted to continue. I couldn't play sport anymore, so I was in the gym. And it was, you know, to have a good physique and to be healthy was the way I was happiest in my head, in my well-being. So that's what I did. And, I, and in a way, I just looked at the models and Tyson Beckwith and Tyson Ballou and Paul Scholfer and all these different people that were, you know, the Levi's guys, mm. you know, the famous Levi's ads that we used to used to look at and the Ralph Lauren guys. I was like, they're all big, muscular, classically handsome guys, and they were the biggest in the industry. So I just thought this has got to come around at one point. So when it actually came around to that creative for light blue, of course, there was a smaller pop because everyone had followed each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was me, and we'd just done the campaign with Dolce & Gabbana, and then we went to go and do light blue. But that, the day it came out, um, it just changed everything. I mean, literally changed everything. And I hate when people say that, but it, it... was went from that campaign going out in the afternoon, phone not stopping. And I think I went to New York and my agency just called up and just said, we've got 
the Telegraph, the Times, the Mirror, they all want to speak to you. They all want to have an interview with you. And we didn't have PRs at that point. You know, this was, I was like, okay, how does this work? Um, very green about it all, but exciting. You know, so that, that, so that, that changed. Um, so you're talking there about lifestyle. How mm. did your lifestyle change? And I want to know about like how people treated you and friends and, you know, romantic potential partners when that, that blows up for you, the phone doesn't stop ringing. How does your world shift from a, like a very personal perspective? Friends have never changed. Great. And we're still, you know, on all on WhatsApp groups and see each other. I don't see them as much. They all live closer together and, and that's a shame really, but it's just never changed. I get the absolute roasting roasting all the time i'm just an easy target <laughs> yeah. so you can just google my name there are so many yeah. pictures that go putting online okay i can't really say much of that so but and that's it you know it keeps you and i love that no one takes themselves too seriously and i think hopefully that's what i didn't do too much is and i always said to people if models ever come up to me now and say what made you different or how did what did you learn i said i never believed my own hype it's very easy once you see yourself in articles and winning awards and everyone's telling you how amazing you are to to believe that but i i suppose i never really did do you um, have imposter syndrome yes yeah yeah of course absolutely and what does that mean in practical terms in your mind and your thoughts you're always waiting to be found out i think there's the end of the day you're always waiting for you know you sort of go okay you're like come on if you've had a really good inning <laughs> Even 15 <laughs> but, years in, yeah. you're still thinking. But, well, 20, 20 years in, 20 we've years had a good in. And, you know, I'm, I'm still thinking that today to be found out. You do that by putting yourself at risk at something. It's like, I suppose there is there is the risk and reward. So everything I do, there has to be a slight risk. Otherwise, it's not sort of worth, I suppose, me, me doing it. So there's always got to be that risk of failure in many ways. And I don't mind failure. I've learned more from failure than I have from success, to be honest. And that risk element of, you know, Vanity Fair asking me to write an article. I mean, I'm not a writer. To do that is scary. And I won't have anyone write it for me. I have to do it. We're going back to the integrity thing. I have mm -hmm. to do it. And that goes for sort of the fashion game to collaborating with brands, to investing. You know, as you know, it's, you know, it's a risk. There is an element of risk that I take into, I suppose, everything. Mm -hmm. And I suppose it makes life exciting. What do you think when you say be found out what's going to be found out what's that imposter voice saying is going to be found out good question i suppose have you bitten off too much than you can chew but no one can be as as uh, harsh a critic to me as i am myself mm. i will beat myself up in something failures i will beat myself up if i don't do the best job um so no one can affect me like that by actually saying anything because i'm my worst critic Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's actually a good point of what someone, you know, what that voice is going to say to me. Just a whisper of doubt, I guess. That may be, well, the way that I typically think about imposter syndrome, or at least I've seen it in my business, I, there's a couple of like top level execs in my business that talk about imposter syndrome a lot. And it sounds like, um, yeah, exactly what you described there, like biting off more than you can chew. And are you really capable and experienced enough to be at this level doing this thing? Do yeah. you, do you really have the skills? Yeah. There's other people that are smarter and better and that have, you know, you know, won more awards or are more, you know, experienced. Mm -hmm. Something like that. There's also the side that, and it's not about money, it's about success. There's a lot of people that actually don't particularly want other people to do well. Hmm. And most people. 
<laughs> they will try to bring you down in in many ways and put doubts in your mind. You know, it's like the sort of the backhanded commentizer, as I always sort of call it. It's it's hard for someone, and I I've learned you know sort of that from other people's comments and what they've said to me, and I'd make sure I never ever do that, and I always just encourage people, and if I can help, I will help them, and that's probably where my investments have come from in many ways is I've had this opportunity and I haven't borrowed a penny in my life to get to where I was. You know, I, I, when I first went to New York for modeling, I used to go around and couldn't afford to eat in nice places. So every time I'd go on like castings, I was walking around all day and going to shoots. I would then go past a, uh, like a diner and they would have a special deal on it. It'd be like a burger, fry and something else for five ninety five, And I would write it down and go, I've got to remember to come back here because it's five ninety five <laughs> plus taxes. Like, and I suppose I can have a beer and it might be $10. That's where I used to have to think because I just didn't, didn't have anything. Then I've always wanted to then, I think I'd never really had any help, but I would like to help people. Talking about helping them, helping people and then other people tearing people down. With female models, mm-hmm. I think we can all quite easily believe how nasty comments would affect them. But there's something in, in I think, the public perception or within society where we think, oh, if you slag off a male model, if you criticize them, say nasty things about them, eh, they'll be fine. If you go on Twitter, for example, mm-hmm. it's totally okay. Just to, people will tweet at Piers Morgan all day saying you're a fat, blah, 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 blah. but the people would never do that to, to, well, they would, but it would be much, it would be considered much differently mm-hmm. if they were saying that to a woman. I believe that to be true. So I guess my ultimate question here ultimately is like, have strangers criticizing saying nasty things on the internet about you how you look or whatever has that ever had a impact on you in this business anyway if you haven't got a thick skin you shouldn't be in this game you've got to have a thick skin and it's what i understood and i've probably only actually understood this from having to cast myself for people to represent my brand is that you're not being horrible to someone. Someone doesn't fit what you have perceived in your head. And that could be for any reason whatsoever. Um, the attitude you bring into it, the charisma you come into that day on that casting, the way you look, and it could be anything. Mm. That person's too skinny, that person's too tall, that person's not big, you know, anything. And you have to realize that when you were casting, is they weren't, it wasn't personal. It was almost business no, you just don't fit the creator that we want at the moment. That changes when you have a name, that changes when you have a brand, because they're buying into your brand, they're buying into your engagement, mm. your fans. That's different. But when they first look at you at face value, and there's different people, you know, there's been castings where they're on the phone, they don't say anything to you, you put the book down, they go through two pages and they hand it back to you. Really? Now, that <laughs> is a bit demoralizing. But hey, you know, like I've always made sure, and I probably overcompensate that because I've been on the other side of, you know, casting, casting other people was I probably mm. kept there for the too long and just chatted and mm. everything else what so, about internet trolls though like someone on Instagram or in the DMs just you post something and they just Mah. no I'm very for, I'm very fortunate that my fan base which is a very organic fan base actually on, on social are massively kind and positive and that's the way I've always pushed social I'm not a big lover of social media mm. Um, I've stated it before. I see the use of it. I see the brilliance of it. I also see the negativity from it, especially for young children. I've spoken out about that. Um, yes, does do things affect? Yeah, of course. You know, you'll probably know this is that you might see 100 comments, all positive, and then 101 comment, 102 comment is negative. 
and you'll remember it. You'll remember those two comments. So you can't remember the other hundred that are positive, and it's a really weird thing. So it's a bit like dealing with people. You deal with the nice ones, you don't deal with the negativity. Yeah. And that's what we've tried to do, really. And again, another sort of social, I guess, um, not maybe stereotype, but sort of misunderstanding would be that someone that is, you know, makes their career out of modeling, someone that's very, you know, um, attractive, um, like yourself, um, surely they can't have insecurities. Surely they realize that they are, you know, surely they can't have self-doubts like us muggles who had GQ are yet to call. <laughs> doesn't everyone have insecurities? I can't believe that you tell there's me. not a person that doesn't have insecurities. Do you have insecurities? Yeah, of course I do. Absolutely. Physical insecurities? Mm, of course I do. Mm. Mm-hmm. I heard you said something about your, if your nose and your, <laughs> your nose. My nose, my eyes got any bigger, or my nose, my ears got any bigger, which they do. They're the only things that came like, I just look like the BFG. So. <laughs> also, I think something that, going back to the, the sort of trolling and Instagram, that is this thing about age now. Age is used as a weapon. You're so old. Look at all your wrinkles. It actually sort of makes me laugh when people say, my God, you, you're like, and most people have positive comments, but they can say, oh, you're getting older. <laughs> yeah. Everyone is. I've been in this game for 20 years. If you're comparing an image from 20 years ago, I'm not going to look the same. But it's almost like it's a negative thing. <laughs> you know, it's, and that that's, I've, I've noticed that increasingly over the last couple of years is this age thing is used as a weapon as if it's a bad thing. Does that bother you? No. I always feel like I've always been quite an old man in a young young man's body anyway. Mm. So, uh, <clears throat> or should I say mature? But um, no, you grow old mm. at the end of the day. You grow a little bit wiser. You grow a little bit, you, you calm down a little bit more mm. and you, you, you accept yourself for who you are a little bit more as well. 20s and 30s, 30s less, but 20s can be quite tricky for everyone. Mm. You don't quite know who you are. You're trying to be, trying to find out where you are in the world. You then, I think, you get a bit more confidence in your 30. And I, that's where my 30s sort of came from to why are you trying to be something else or trying to fit in? Mm. And I never fit in. I've never fit in ever anywhere really particularly well um, or felt I haven't particularly fitted in. You know, in the fashion industry, I've never felt I fitted in. I was telling um, uh, a model the other day, actually, we were working with, and we all used to go off to uh, New York for this big casting two weeks, try and get the jobs, be all the, all the big agencies. And you would go, go in a group of probably about 10 guys, and you had, you'd have a list. Back in those days, you would have a fax, believe it or not. We didn't have mobile phones. It was a fax. So you got your fax in the morning. You had all your appointments, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, blah, 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 all the way through. Everyone used to go down to the subway <clears throat> or walk and we'll go together. And there was this very pack mentality. And I was never into that pack mentality. I was quite always a, I say, a much more sort of individual sort of loner. So I used to look at the facts and I used to let them go around the corner and I would virtuate upside down and do the opposite way. So those nine guys would go to the nine o'clock and I would go to the six o'clock. And I would just turn up at the office and go, hi, I'm, I know I'm supposed to be here at nine o'clock, but is... John, someone in, going, yeah, yeah, he's here. I'm like, oh, can I see him? You take the opportunity where you've got, imagine going through seeing nine guys, speaking to nine guys, looking, but by the third person, you're like, I'm, they're going to be bored. And, and you take the opportunity. So I did that all the way around. And that's what I did kind of all the time. It was thinking constantly of like outside the box of doing something different. Hmm. Yeah. It's um, amazing how those small things can create such significant, like it's such a marginal 
think and create such a big gain. And most people are obviously, they don't even try and think outside of the, the script. And so they end up, you know, competing mm-hmm. in, in a very saturated way for a limited amount of rewards. But one slight innovation in the process, I think, can deliver such an exponential return. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky. And it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. In the industry of modeling, one thing that I think is probably, I don't have any data to support this claim, but I think is probably rife because of the nature of the business and what I know about the subject of mental health and mental well-being is anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I've just seen amongst my friends, um, uh, the women that I know that model, high levels of anxiety um, for a variety of reasons. Um, have you ever suffered with anxiety yourself at any point in your career? I'm naturally a shyer person, but shyness is not anxiety. Mm. So I can't say, I mean, if I probably gave someone symptoms of stuff I've had or things that have happened, they might say, well, that's anxiety. Mm. My anxiety, if I still think of, now there's, there's a weird thing of, when I hear the music to the Antiques Roadshow on a Sunday night, I still have anxiety that I haven't done my homework and I have to go to school the next day. That's how really? much I hated didn't hate i hated school up to a certain point the sixth one was great with my friends that i still have but that was the point of i still have that today when i hear that music i literally stop and i'm like oh you know oh i don't have to go to school tomorrow what was was so bad about school i mean i was i I didn't fit in at school that that was basically it it wasn't you know all good friends from that school but it was just a certain time before i kind of met those people um, the, the group of guys I could, and, and girls I used to you know, sort of you know, hang around with. And there was bullying and there was, I just didn't fit in. That was all it was. But you say so you were bullied in, in school, primary school or secondary school? Secondary school, yeah. But no, primary was primary was quite fun. Enjoy primary school. Secondary school was just something different. Maybe went to the wrong school. Maybe made the wrong choices. It was me. It wasn't, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not blaming anything. It was just, and I was quite steadfast of not fitting in. I didn't fit in particularly well. And I wasn't going to change my way of fitting into everyone else. In what way didn't you fit in? I just, I just a bit like the same. I, I, I'm still like it. I mean, I'm still in the fashion. That example of not being in that group, not not being that pack, not doing the same thing everyone does, exactly the same thing. I didn't want to be in, but I saw things differently and wanted to do things my way. Maybe that's it. I mean, at the end of the day, maybe it was doing something my way, and. And I've always looked at that. That that goes on for that. That can go into if you look go, can go into styling. Is like well, no one's wearing suits. Oh, I'm going to wear suits then. Mm. Well, no one's, you know, why don't you do this? 
it's like, you know, people still take the mickey out of me because I do not own a pair of sneakers or trainers. Mm. And the people, like now, everyone, that's all they're wearing. Mm-hmm. I have one pair and I go to the gym with them and I have a running pair. But And everyone sort of looks at you as if, but I love that fact. You know, it's just me being a little bit different. Mm. But it, it can also lead to, you know, being a little bit stubborn that you take that to a little bit far of not ever relinquishing that you want to be sort of different or like all the time you want to i don't know why you do it was that physical but was that bullying because of physical things they were they were saying that you were physically different or no, was it physically like, different no the way no, you, no. you thought maybe it was the way i thought if you mm. think about that now yeah it's just because in, in i do find this still now in the world that everyone likes to pigeonhole everyone likes to you are put in a certain category, person. And if you don't fit in, mm. then you're strange. You're a strange person. Mm. Why don't you like the same stuff? Why don't you wear the same stuff as us? Why don't you mm. think the same way that we think? And of course, it's now got to this like very polarized when we have different opinions as they attack each other now. It's like it's either left or right. Mm. There's nowhere in the middle. And it was, it was, I think, that element that I've always just, I suppose I've, been quite an individual thinker in some ways mm. which kind of and that's might put me in good stead for the business we're in mm. um but yeah the, the anxiety thing I, maybe it's a confidence again when i was confident into going something i was absolutely fine you know, i just wanted an opportunity that was always mm. what i want to be able to um you know people would say why have you not gone into acting why have you not i'm not confident if there's anxiety give me a script to learn and try and put me you know, in front of a a camera and you'll see that's where I'll probably be anxiety mm. although I've done that and I achieved it and I quite loved it so it was a scary side of it but it's not something I'm naturally good at isn't that you know people would people again talking about naivety right people would never guess that you would say you weren't confident and it's almost like the conversation what the conversation I had with Ben Fogel you would just mm. it's just not what you would expect based on like stereotypes one would expect you to be an extrovert yeah you know super confident Mm -hmm. some kind of you know very loud you know braggadocious boisterous guy but you appear to be the opposite of that and especially on the point of confidence yeah i mean i wouldn't say i've got a lack of confidence there's a lack of confidence where i think i know my limitations maybe Mm. and when i but i also like pushing those limitations to see where i can get to and seeing what i can achieve and learn um but the confidence, I mean, the GQ Awards, we went to two weeks ago. And you sign up, you're... I didn't get an invite, by the way. Got the red. <laughs> i have to sort this out with GQ. Um, you're on the red carpet, done it a million times before. There's still dread filled with, like, I'm filled with dread to getting on that red carpet and having the pictures taking. But it's just not a natural environment for me. And I was thrilled that there was a, you know, a huge long queue because everyone wanted to be on the red carpet. Everyone wanted their picture taken. Everyone wanted to be in the papers and put it on their Instagrams. And I went, too long. I'm not, you know, I'm going to swerve that one. So I swerved it and went upstairs and went into an environment where I was much happier, where actually I needed to speak to a few certain people for a few certain reasons and went to go and hunt them down and go and speak to them. What was it about, what was the sort of psychological discomfort you you, you feel when you think about going on the red carpet and doing that because you described going upstairs to a place where you were happier mm. so what what's the unhappiness of the red carpet for you it's just an unnatural environment for me to be in. when you're on set 
when you're employed by a brand to create what is in who is their vision, you're playing a role. Like Blue, I'm a Mediterranean guy in Italy in small white speedos. It's not me. It is me, but it's it's there's a role you're playing. I know there's actors as well. I've spoken to them about. They love being in character. After those characters, they don't want the limelight. They don't want fame. They don't want to speak to anyone. They don't want to do press junkets. They, they hate the red carpet. Exactly the same. So when you're on set, you're almost playing someone else. And there's an element as well of there is this David Gandhi. And I talk about it in the third person because that's the brand sometimes I have to talk about. That's the name. So you, you yes, you are walking onto a set almost being something else. Not that I'm acting any different. Um, but And then there is, and the, and the red carpet is just not that environment. I can probably hide behind mm. a character or hide behind a role or something when I'm playing on that day. That's me. And it's just not something, it's strangely weird. Draining. I, yeah. My other half, Steph, loves to go out, loves to go to events. She gets, you know, such a, you know, a buzz, such gets enthusiasm for it, actually, like, you know, she, she and she honestly probably thought that was me when we first met. I go to an event, I'm drained from people. I'm, a, I'm actually naturally a loner. I could, you know, we sort of joke with Steph when we first went, she would give me the silent treatment and I was just like, Steph, I'm going to tell you now, I'll, I'll win at this game because <laughs> <laughs> I can go off, I can go on for days not talking. I'm used to it. You know, I'm, I've, I prefer it. Yeah, I'm, I've traveled, the, you know, I travel the world and don't speak to people for days. So um, it was always kind of a joke between us. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, and then when you're naturally, the, the complete opposite of being alone, you know, I love taking dogs for walk. I love walking for hours and then if I ever, ever get sort of proper time to do it. Um, with no one around me, the exact opposite of that is the red carpet mm. to me. And your life has put you there because of your success, right? And it, you must get asked to go to red carpets all the time and events like that all the time. Yeah. And there's nothing, nothing, the actual event. Um, I mean, again, like presenting, presenting an award, reading off an auto cue to present it. I mean, I, it's an honour to do it. I know it's an honour. I know I have to do it. But the whole night, whenever you're presenting, is me on that table not enjoying that evening because I know there was one point that I've got to go up there and be in front of everyone. And, and I've done it a million times now and it still doesn't get any easier. It's very, very strange. But, um, you know, there you go. It's easy to accept an award, of course. <laughs> That's very interesting. Again, again, it's just a real, I think for most people, it'd be a real surprise that um, someone who is very out there mm-hmm. visually mm. yeah no absolutely it makes no sense Doesn't i, I understand that myself i tell people it yeah. makes no sense have you ever spoken to like a therapist about that or anybody about probably that? probably should do yeah. <laughs> but no it'd probably be quite interesting to know why i was and and actually might help me overcome some fears or overcome some anxiety mm. and it does sound very strange even when i say it, it makes no sense um and it's probably why maybe i've you know, there's, there's been sort of striving for not to be in front of the camera, especially with my own stuff is being OB behind it. You know, I've been creative director to quite a few brands now, an advisor, and I've gone and helped, just been on so many shoots. So I just said, oh, come on as creative director. I don't need to be paid. I just want to, I just love being that creative element to it. Gentleman's Channel asked me in the RAF and Brailing asked me to direct a RAF film. Loved it absolutely loved not I wasn't in front of that and it was they were like no no we want you to be 
in front of it. I was like, absolutely not. I'll direct it and I'll cast someone else mm. for it who I think is perfect for it because I'm not perfect. I'm not good enough for that, you know, not good enough, but I just don't suit that role. Mm. So I need someone else in it. Again, people look at me and go, why would you not want to put yourself in that? Because I'm, I I'm not the right part for it. Why? Just because the concept I've come up with in my head is not me mm. for that role. I see someone else. Sure. It's, it's casting, you know, it, it's... Think, you, of the, think of the greatest role, you know, the, you know, if you think Top Gun, you think Tom Cruise, what if they had put someone else in that? Would that have been the, the success it would be? Probably argue no. You got asked to do Fifty Shades of Grey, right? I got, it, it's a room, kind of a room. I got, I, I met the, uh, met the author and she said, we would love to send you the script. Because we think, And I think it might have got, got sent. And I'd, 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 I admit I'd never read the books. And... Yeah, I, I mean, they had, they had, I mean, Jamie didn't, you know, Jamie Dornan is an awesome actor. You know, he was a model. I mean, he was one of the, you know, he was one of the biggest models, but he wanted to go into acting and he's a great actor. You know, he's very, very, and I, there, you know, if I ever went to, you know, I won't go into acting, but looking at that, I was like, I'm not, I, I couldn't beat Jamie. Hmm. I couldn't be as good as that. He's very, very good. And then you look at the other levels of, of sort of, uh, of other actors and you just think it's not something I was, I could, I could learn. I could, you know, sort of learn to be quite good at it, but I, but I could never probably, you know, be the best at it. Also, I heard about Hercules three hundred. You were, you were yeah. I mean, of course. Roles. I mean, you're always going to be asked to do stuff like that, just from the physical element of the way I look, and you're not going to be a, a part in it. But it was wasn't anything. I was. Mm. I've been, you know, and the, the, I, I got my being bonnet about the industry I'm in and where I, what I wanted to achieve in this. So there's, there's always, I always said, there's a couple of roles that I would play and I would drop everything to go and play it. And there's just a couple of stories that I love that I've even... Which ones? One of them is about Winston Churchill's bodyguard, uh, Walter Thompson. I even found out who owns the rights to, the, to it all. And just the most incredible story. And he was originally from Epping in Essex. And... Yeah, Winston Churchill asked him to come back in the Second World War. He used to be his bodyguard, then he stopped and then he came back. And just the most incredible diary. You imagine the diaries of being Winston <laughs> Churchill's bodyguard. Wasn't easy, yeah. of course. Fascinating because, of course, Winston Churchill, that uh, I can't remember, they, they called his episodes the Black something or other, which we now probably know as bipolar. Mm. Yeah. You know, and Walter Thompson was the person that protected everyone or protected him from everyone seeing that. Wow. So, uh, yeah, just kept everyone away from seeing seeing those episodes that no one would have realised. Speaking of um, mental health disorders then, um, you, you've, you know, you're a, an ambassador of a men's mental health charity. We're working with, yeah, and we're also working with Calm and um, a oh, few Calm. others for, for the new brand, yeah. Oh, amazing. And um, your new brand has a big sort of theme around men's wellness. Mm -hmm. And um, what does, what, I guess the question is why? Why did that matter to you? And this is also why I asked the question around anxiety, because I was, for you to make it a kind of mental well-being, let's say, a central part and mental wellness, a, a central part of your brand mm. and your mission, mm. um, one would assume that you've had a, an experience with it close to home. Because I think that's one way that people typically generate a t ton of empathy towards the subject matter is feeling it, feeling the pain of it, whether within themselves or within loved ones. So mm. what was it for you that made you care so much about that? I've never suffered from depression as, and I'm very fortunate that from, as, as badly as other people have. 
And I've witnessed it because I've dated people that were then diagnosed with bipolar. And I've seen the extremities of mental, you know, mental health. Um, me, myself, and I admit it's, it's not happened for a while, would go into dark periods, knowing I would snap out of it eventually. But they, they were dark, but nothing would, nothing would suffice. Nothing would cheer you up. Just quite in a dark place, wanting to be on my own, just not around anyone. Um, wasn't triggered by anything. But just one day, I just knew I'd wake up and it was gone. Just a chemical, a chemical reaction in your brain, basically what what it is. And yeah, so I've, I, I do understand and I can spot it in other people as well. What, what were the symptoms of it for you, those dark periods? The symptoms, as I, as I said, was was just nothing would make you, you, you couldn't snap out of it. It was nothing could make you happy or cheerful. You, you didn't like anyone. You didn't want to be around anyone. Um, it's hard to, the feelings are hard to explain. I mean, it was, you know, it never got to any point of seriousness. I mean, I've seen people with bipolar that will be in a room for hours on end, for days on end, watching the same TV series because that their safety is watching that TV series and makes them a little bit happy, you know, because of just that safety for some reason. So I've seen, I've seen the, the real dark side of it. And I've also, from me dating someone like that, of how hard it is to deal with it because you always want to try and make that person better. Hmm. And you can't in, in many, many ways. It's, you can talk and you have to be, you know, it's, it's about just being patient and listening to people and trying to get them, you know, help, professional help. There is an element where, you, you know, I can only talk about certain to point and then it comes to an expert help that, that they have to talk. And that's what Calm does, you know, it's, it's, it's allowing people to talk to people. Um, and there are people that are far better. It was, you know, people need to listen to people. That's, that's the point of it. I think there's a lot of people who, even if, they are talking to people they're not listening. Mm. Fortunately, it's never been that bad. Mm. But I, I do understand it. Do you sleep well? No. I heard you hadn't slept well for almost two decades. No, never slept well. I didn't sleep well when I was a child. But I did it was the other way around. Went to bed early, got up, you know, went to bed, you know, go to bed early. And then my parents just left me be in the end. I think they were just so sick of trying to get me to go to bed because I just didn't sleep. And I would be doing my homework at Midnight's one o'clock in the morning. I still work now. I was up till two o'clock in the morning working last night. And that's yeah, another thing when people go, it's grafting or hard work. Most people, are sitting, a lot of people are sitting down at half past eight, nine o'clock in front of a TV, ready to go to bed. Half past eight, I'm going to the gym, get back at half past nine, do the shopping on the way home, mm-hmm. cook myself some dinner, go. Doesn't stop. In between is working on the phone, carrying on. Now, now you know, half past 10, I'll open the laptop and get up with some more work. If you're always grafting, as you call it, and it's and you said it doesn't stop, how does one become happy if they're always striving? If they're always in the future, or looking... it stopped during pandemic. You, so you, sorry, it did stop during the pandemic. Oh, you did like, during lockdown. Really? Yeah, you couldn't. My my half the businesses, my business, the modeling is traveling pretty mm. much. At the end of the day, you have to be in locations. And did that, that make stopped. you happier? Yeah, it made you happier when it all stopped. To financial. You know, it, it affected me financially. Yeah. And we'd already been affected 
quite heavily in this industry by, um, you know, say, the Brexit, as in, you know, the blame of Brexit. Now, it was the uncertainty of Brexit. So a lot of brands were not spending money, not marketing money, not have, not having budgets, not working with the UK, all these different, different things. Also uncertainty in brands with social media now of old school campaigns versus digital, which still hasn't quite fizzled out yet. They, 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 brands don't quite know where they are within mm-hmm. the marketing world on how to, how to market to people, how to target people. So it's been affected by it. And, you know, that all kind of Brexit got signed January, whole different world. It was sort of that December, January of, what, 2020. I was off to Milan. I was then going to Spain. I was then going to Greece. I was then going to New York. I was then back to Milan. I had the schedule like it used to be going off out to Russia. Never been to Russia. I was really excited about going to Russia for the first time. And the pandemic hit. Everything got cancelled. And you're saying you were happier during the pandemic? Probably shouldn't have been. Listen, I'm unfortunate. I'm very, very fortunate. As the fact is that, yes, it affected mm. me financially. But it slowed you down. But I've right? invested well and I've, you know, it, 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 mm. there's reserves to yeah, yeah, yeah. want this out. But um, Nice car collection. Yeah. <laughs> Which I exactly. That's an expensive thing, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Um, there's a time, probably the only time I actually probably truly switch off and there's a week between Christmas and New Year. Mm. And that's when everyone, I mean everyone, virtually everyone, is not doing anything during that week. Yeah. And that's a week where I, I probably switch off the most. And we always sort of go away a week later after that because, because it takes time for people mm. to get back. And, and I suppose there is, it's not fear of missing out. It's fear of other people working and I'm not working. I should always be working. And during the pandemic, no one was working. How, how can you, how can, how can one be happy with, with their brain saying those things that, that kind of constant nagging to be doing something or doing more or to be striving. How can, that sounds like the the thief of happiness to me. The thief of happiness. That's a good one. It should be a book. Um, <laughs> it probably is. Listen, I, I haven't got the answers to that. Are, are it's, you, it's, are, would you consider yourself to be a happy person? A positive person. Why did you avoid the word happiness? I don't know. If I'm totally honest. That's something you probably have to ask a, mm. ask a psychiatrist. I don't know happy person I'm a positive person and I suppose I am a happy person in many ways yes that's right but I suppose it's just a definition of what's positive what's happy is it all the same thing so you said in many ways in what ways do you think you're, you might not be a happy person again good question I, I, I mean I am I'm happy I put myself listen when I'm in control of what I do now that's why I always wanted it. Maybe I'm a control freak, I don't know. The hard work that's that where we've got to has allowed me now to, to be in complete control of what of my destiny of what I want to do. If I want to renovating interiors, huge passion. Love doing it. Looks like a nightmare hard work for other people, but I strive on it. Renovating classic cars, the same thing. It's as I you know, said to you earlier. You're halfway through, you think, why am I doing this? Why didn't I just buy a new car or, a, you know, a new build? And but, and then you got over, but, I, but I, the accomplishment is worth it to me. You know, that sense of achievement. Does that's that what I'm striving for. Hmm? Does it ever feel as good when you get there? Yeah, it does. Not for that long, but it does. Oh, I can take those. Couple of, <laughs> couple of days. Couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Four seconds. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's it's the same feeling as you know when we if we go and shoot light blue or something else and you have to work hard you know in the gym to get I'm always in pretty decent shape but that's hard work to get in that shape and it's getting harder the older I get um and you dedicate a lot and you sacrifice a lot to look like that and then there is that point of we've shot it we've seen through the picture it looks incredible you've achieved it and there is this evening of enjoying that it's then on to the next thing you know it's what are we working on not next but you know one of the other projects that i'm working on at the time do you, have you found that in your career dark episodes where you're where you feel down sometimes follow high episodes because there's this really fascinating thing that i was reading about about gold medal depression where mm. up to 80 percent of um Olympians, regardless of outcome, regardless of whether they win or they don't, mm. come back from the Olympics after training, all of that excruciating effort, mm -hmm. and they come back and 80% of them report sort of depressive symptoms. Mm -hmm. I've, I've read that. I don't, know where I, was, I don't know where I've read that. I've read the same thing. And I could actually resonate with that in, in many ways. Um, yeah, sometimes actually achieving what, what you want is a bit... It's sometimes the journey is the exciting bit, which is a weird thing to say. It's... We are on this journey of well-wear, David Ganey, the brand at the moment, and it is so much hard work. Um, Tell me about that. That whole inspiration, the journey, why? Why the brand? Yeah. Because it was what I've wanted to achieve for so long, is have that to me, to have your own brand. I, I didn't know what it was going to be, I am a brand, you know, that's, I say that, and it makes me sound like a bit of a dick. No, but you are. But it yeah. is a brand. And that's why people have to realise, you know, when I say I that well. we only sometimes. <laughs> that, that, and then I would probably say it's 10 years I've, I've thought, yes, that's where one day I would like to, I'm not saying I'm always going to achieve it, but yes, from the creative side to being in control of that brand. I was, I'm always in control from, by other brands. Even if I'm collaborating with a brand, there is still an element of control that, that brand has and i always thought yeah to be in complete control complete creative control and that's a risk i never wanted the people to think because i have a name because i've been in the fashion industry for so long i could start a brand now people do now you know they use it's social media one of the one of those elements is you can start something you can sell it immediately you've got fans followers buyers it's made the marketplace a very different place so i went back to really what i did for modeling observation putting myself in the situation where i could learn and that was mns mm. the collaboration with mns we saw the david gandhi loungewear no one was doing loungewear this was what are we talking about the concept was what six seven seven and a half years ago seven years ago lounge loungewear wasn't a big concept it wasn't it wasn't something that people thought about um and of course we did sleepwear and t-shirts and everything else but it was loungewear that really took off and became third biggest loungewear in the country and was successful and it had you know 60 percent of me in that brand as in what i wanted to achieve on that brand but of course you couldn't get that last 40 percent because that was mns and i knew where i wanted to go i knew what needed to be done but i couldn't push it any further than i sort of could so that ended and then the pandemic hit and and, and locked down and one of my greatest friends charlie t who has listened to me talk far too long about wanting to start my own thing and he started his own branding 
agency uh, to do exactly what I wanted. And he said, well, listen, I've started this now. You can be our first client, but we're not talking about this anymore. We've got the time. I've, I've you know, as, as my best friend, he knows I'm, I'm never really around. He said, I've got you here. We went together. I've going, I've got you in the country. We've got time. Let's start it. What's your long-term vision then for Wellware? What's the, what's the long-term, what's it going to become five, 10 years from now? I never really tell people where I've got it in my head, where something is going, hopefully going to be. And there is small steps to, you know, to where we haven't, you know, properly launched, you know, the, the first shipping goes out on 22nd of October. Um, but we wanted to do something different with Wellware. We wanted to, to the, to the essence of me, it was understanding, and we're calling it sort of well-wear, well-being, why clothing, why does some clothing make you feel positive and confident? Mm-hmm. Why does some not? Mm-hmm. And we looked at we, the studies done by Amsterdam University, and I think it was a scientific you know, element of if we put students in comfortable, confident clothing, they're confident that's comfortable and soft, their results are better than other people who are in uncomfortable clothing and they don't feel as confident or that's going in. The same with business. It was now why the banks, big banks are saying you don't have to wear suits anymore because actually a lot of people are more positive. They're a lot more open to work with. They're a lot calmer. It's oxytonin. It's the same thing as feeling the ridiculously, you know, soft pillow or puppy, that softness, Mm. that soft jumper, you know, that that thing you hold on to is oxytone. It's released into your brain. It's a positive, mm. positive move. And that's what we wanted to do with. And, I, and we looked into this and, you know, there was a side to me that was fascinated by the element of it. But I've always wondered, you know, why do I, why do I hold on to that pair of jeans until my ass is falling out the end mm. of it? And I would try and find that pair again. And I can't find that pair. And why am I wearing those sweatshirts? Because, well, it was one for comfort. And that is an element of lots of things. The materials, um, the breathability, the style. You still got to look stylish in it. Mm. It makes you feel confident. The fit. That's why, at the end of the day, that's why it was never to me about being trendy. It was being confident. And so many guys say to me, what do I do? What do I wear here? I'm like, what are you confident in? Mm. And then we've thought about every element of the sweatshirts and the hoodies and the t-shirts of comfort level of style, of fit, of quality, of well-wear breathe, well-wear care. We've we've sort of put these elements into um, the wash into the clothing that is aloe vera. So pajamas are moisturizing you whilst you sleep. Anti-inflammatory, we've got well-wear breathe and, you know, sort of antibacterial elements of it, which is another element of, we were looking at fast fashion. Fast fashion can be an addiction and people don't realize this addiction that you get a buzz from shopping, but actually you can be hugely affected knowing the impact of fast fashion on the environment. Actually, when that clothing lasts a week, mm. two weeks, I mean, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> it lasts, you know, it, but it can yeah. do. Some, yeah. some people wear it once and chuck it away. Yeah. It's actually, it's going to negatively impact you. Okay, so there's a new segment to this podcast we mm-hmm. do. What we do is we ask our previous guest to leave a question for our next guest. And um, I've not read this question yet, but I've just read it then as I said this. Um, so I'm going to ask you this question asked mm-hmm. by someone that was sat in this, the chair before you. Okay. They told me to ask you, what do you promise to do to make our world a better place? 
Okay, can I have an easier question? What's a week before? This, yeah. Let's let's take this back to. I hopefully promise to do. Um, there's a number of things I do for number charities, but we won't, we won't talk about that. And then they're not promises. I suppose the promise is from Wellware to make people smile. Yeah. To bring to bring back some the positivity that I think is needed somewhere. Like I think we're, we're we're in this polarized world that we are in. Mm-hmm. Is just to say, fuck it. We're just going to make people smile, and 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 have a laugh with everything that we do. And and I think you uh, you can't put a monetary value on that. Yeah. So that's what I promise to try and do over the years of Wellware. Perfect, amazing. Thank you so much. And you're going to have to write in the book now as well. Okay, a question for someone else. But listen. David, thank you so much for your time. Um, It's such an incredibly inspiring and twisting story of yours. And to see where you are now and taking on this this next adventure in business, I find incredibly exciting. The entrepreneur in me is is fascinated by by that. And I understand the challenge of that. So, yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. I wish I could have had, yeah, you brought out some good, some good questions. I probably might need to no, yeah. answer. <laughs> That's what I, I think I want to do. I just always want to pry, but I pry because I'm curious and because I'm like fascinated by those topics myself. It's like, there's nothing written down here that's telling me to speak on those terms, but yeah, it's so fascinating. And you, also your level of self-awareness, I think is just really inspiring for a lot of people. Yeah, so. I, I think it's, I mean, it's just, there's a therapeutic thing to hmm. talking. Of course. Yeah. I mean, men don't do it. We're useless. Yeah. Um, that's mental health. One of the you know, is people asking you talking. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. A lot of people don't actually listen. Yeah, um, there's a lot of talking about yourself. But a lot of people talking about themselves at the moment. So there's a therapeutic side to this. Yeah, exactly. For yeah. me as well, you know. That's what. So that's actually good. how it started. It was like it was like therapy for me because I was doing it on my own, going through my diary and just you know. <laughs> but um, it's it's honestly amazing and um, thank you so much for giving us that story because it's um, such Absolutely. an inspiring one. Thank you. Thank you. one decision away from taking your business to the next level and a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.